0: How's it going, everybody? Really excited to welcome Nick Myers to the Philocrosophy Podcast. Nick is the head coach of the Ohio State Buckeyes. And uh, Nick, really fired up to have you on the show. How are you doing, man?
1: I'm doing great, Coach. Always great to be with you. Uh, your podcast is um, it's pretty special. It's one that I know personally I love, love listening to and got a ton out of over the years. So uh, just really grateful to be on and to have this time to spend with you.
0: Thanks, man. Me too. It's been it's been almost two years. The last time we did it was in quarantine lockdown when there was nothing right. nothing to do. I was doing like a podcast a day to try to keep everybody, you know, able to like think about lacrosse on their walks.
1: Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I mean, you've built an incredible library. And for any young coach that's out there listening, you know, that has a commute or, or traveling to a camp, you know, wherever it may be, uh, what a resource, you know, someone that grew up, you know, in Maine and got into this thing and, you know just started as a volunteer and kind of worked his way through it. You know, having, having resources like, like this are are pretty special. I mean, conventions once a year, you, you hear some talks, but technology is a wonderful thing. And and this library that you've created is one that I think for coaches out there, it's just a home run. And I'm actually a subscriber right to the, uh, the JM three. Love it. I'm giving you the full pitch today, you know, (laughs) but I I tell you what, man, I, I, and, and it's been great. You know, I have a dad, I have kids. I love, I love dipping into some of the, you know, the, the driveway stuff you have on there and everything from, you know, little wrinkles in the offensive motions to, to some, some drills that you can use. So, so it's a great platform, great library.
0: Love it, man. Appreciate it. Um, all right. We, I have no agenda, but I want to talk lacrosse with you. So i you, you, just brought up the kids. Um, give me the update on, 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 on what they're doing and, and how you as a dad, who's a coach, is trying to use your expertise. A lot of the, a lot of the coaches that are listening to this have kids, you know, and, and I, I I'm a dad uh, and a coach and um, everybody does it a little bit different way. What's your overall philosophy on, 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 on this as it relates to multi-sport athletes, as it relates to lacrosse as development, um, all that.
1: Yeah. Well, you and I know each other a long time. So you kind of know my personality and, you know, I think Julie and I, my wife, we met in college. So we've been together almost 20 years, a little over 20 years. And, You know, I would just say the biggest thing. My, my, I have two boys. I have an 11 year old and a nine year old, and uh, just, just generally, you know, they're bringing a ton of joy to to my life. You know, and and I think as a coach, um, you know, I took I was a head coach in the Division one landscape at 28 years old, and so, you know, I've I've never taken that break. You know, I got out of college and started coaching Division one lacrosse when I was 21, 42, and so. You know, I think just breaking up that that those years of division one, the coaching and that kind of that 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 cycle of repetitiveness uh, are children. And so they've they've poured into me probably as much as I poured into them and uh, just just love them being a dad. And they're at a really fun age. Um, I coached them this past weekend in box. Uh, they love playing box, you know, credit to uh, hats off to, to Anthony Kelly, Greg Bice. Those guys who are resolute. Um, Maddie Brown, you know, guy played for you and uh, U.S. box. I mean, it's just awesome to see in the United States, you know, the box growth and, and to have two children growing up in Columbus that play, that have played as much box as they have field as a third grader and fifth grader is, is awesome, you know, and so that's one thing I'll speak to. Uh, I'm a big believer like you are, you know, we have a flat driveway. When I was evaluating houses, <laughs> I wanted a flat driveway uh, on, a, on a quiet street, you know, and so we we uh, we love getting out there and whether it's hockey or basketball, I try not to script it with the boys. Like I come home and I, they, they want to play outside. If they want to play knockout, we play knockout. You know, if they want to shoot, we shoot. But I don't I don't try to drive it as much as just uh, that that free play, like you like to call it, of just getting out. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll create some boundaries. There's some do's and don'ts in the driveways for sure. But it's never like we have to play this or that. It's just whatever we play, we play hard and we have fun. And and we take care of each other, you know, so we don't complain. We don't whine and that crap. So, um, you know, I, I think the multi port thing, my, 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 my boys played football. You know, that was a tough call for my, my wife and I, um, the tackle thing. You know, we, we kicked the can on that out for a while. But, you know, we live in a community that, that really is into football. And, and I felt like there's some really good guys, you know, running the league and, and so I think that's an important piece of it. Uh, so we had a third grader play tackle this year and a fifth grader, and they both had incredibly positive experiences. I'll say that. Um, they play basketball right now and they play box and they'll play some lacrosse this spring. So it's a lot of fun. And, and for me as a coach, like I said, just just I get so excited to get home, see Jules and, and see the boys uh, right now. And they're, they're at an age where they can be around the guys. The guys have a big impact on them. You know, they got a Dominique Alexander jersey and a Ryan Tarafenkel jersey for Christmas. Uh, we actually had the NLL commissioner here yesterday at Ohio state for the day, which is really cool. He, he shared his vision for growth of the league and, you know, but, but they're growing up, they're kids growing up seeing lacrosse on sports center now, you know, the PLL and, you know, the NLL has a, has a play in the top 10 almost every week. So very different era than, than even five years ago, 10 years ago for, for kids growing up seeing lacrosse. So that's, that's exciting.
0: Yeah. So cool. And I love the fact that you got him playing so much box. Um, as you know, my boy played, Ten summers of box across in Canada. So when he was 12, he went up there for his first summer to live with grandma and grandpa and play in Saint Catharines, Ontario. And now, like half the guys that he was teammates with are in the NLL. It's crazy, though, how that works. Um, how box just is this massive accelerator of skill and IQ. And for people that don't pay that much attention to box across, I highly recommend you watch. You know, just follow it on Twitter, follow it on Instagram, look at these highlights. I mean, Nick, it's absolutely insane what these guys are doing. But the thing is, for us, it looks insane. For them, it's just what they do, and it's like it's an every, it's every day, bro. It's like every day. It's like not, it's nothing special. Um, although I did send, see the clip you sent me of your boy popping a little B T B down to the little lefty on the windup, and that's what they do all day—the draw and dump. You know, it's just fundamental, fundamental across for Canadians looks a little different. And uh, I would love to hear your opinions on just the insane skill level that these guys make, they've normalized.
1: Yeah, I think he did a great job. And the one thing that the commissioner said yesterday that I really stuck out with me is his vision of a 30 team league where the the men are full-time lacrosse players. And that's a vision that he has a long-term vision, you know, dream if you will, um, for the league. He's come to us from, from major league soccer. Uh, where they've done a remarkable job of building that league in the United States. Uh, but the point he made was that, you know, these, these guys are playing and they're, they're doing things we, right now that, I mean, the games this weekend were phenomenal. If you watched any of the games, but um, you know, they're, they're, they're still part, there's still, a lot of these guys are still working a, a job, you know, 40 hours a week, Yeah. you know, so I so to think that you're getting that kind of an effort out of them on the weekends and their discretionary time, and a lot of these guys are putting 40, 50 hours in, whether they're a fireman, a doctor, a teacher, a coach, whatever it may be, is pretty remarkable. You know, these guys are having to train during the week on their free time. A lot of them are dads. They have families. They're training in the morning. They're training at night. And the league, it's its, it's not a beer league. I mean, this this is a big boy, high-end, best players in the world doing things that we've never seen each weekend. I mean, that move Jeff Teat made this weekend, I've seen that play like 30 times. I mean, that's just – that's ridiculous, you know, to split a double like that. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm fired up about it. You know, I love showing my kids the clips. I mean, that's one of the positives of social media. You know, if you miss a game, you, you pull up the NLL, you scroll through, you watch 10 or 12 highlights. Um, but the the coverage they're getting, I mean, credit to them, that ESPN package, the, the color the commentary has been great. It's, it's first class. Uh, as far as the skill level goes. Yeah, I, I agree. You now I just, I coach a box team of, of, of youth guys with a couple of dads that are, that's been a lot of fun. And it's funny. One of the dads said to me, he's not a lacrosse guy. I said, Nick, this is, it's basketball on steroids. He's just what this is. He's I'm just, that's what I'm, that's what I feel like I'm experiencing right now. And, you know, I thought about that a little bit. I've heard some comparisons, you know, hockey, but, but, you know, so much of it is, is, is true there. You know, you're, you're, you're five on five, you know, uh, in terms of the field players uh, there's so much two man game and picking and rolling and, and, you know, the way you approach defensively, there is a lot of that, you know, you, your best chance to score is in transition. Uh, it's harder to score in a settled half court game, which is very true in hoops. Um, but that effort and toughness piece of box has to be there where you can be a pretty skillful guy in hoops and, and get away with it to a degree, you know, at times, and, and there's probably a basketball coach that's going to, that would hate me saying that, but that's the truth. I feel in box, you just can't play that way, man. If you don't cut the middle, if you're not willing to give your body up, in a way that's different, if you're not willing to be gritty in the corners, there's a real ceiling on the kind of player you can be. So I love that that it, 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 even at a young age, you see kids that play box, you see that effort and toughness that's hard to teach. Like you see kids build their courage through playing box, you know, by just taking contact, giving contact. And then and then certainly the skillful piece is a piece of it. But But playing hard mm-hmm. and being physical is something that for kids to like be able to kind of like gradually build that, whereas football – it's so like you get hit and maybe you don't ever want to play again, you know, whereas box, you don't really take that big hit. You just take like hits. And I think that to me for my boys, what I've seen them, the, the, the way they've evolved through that, it's been really cool. And, uh, you know, and then the lacrosse component of just being able to play the game in such a tight space, you know, it is quick. It gets on you fast. Um, yeah. You start to develop, you know, whether it's a shovel, a crosshand, a backhand, your fakes, your pumps, you uh, you know, you and I are both are on the same page with that. You know, it's like, that's, that's just fun, man. It's just it's part of the game. It's, it's what you have to do to, to be successful in that, that league. There's a lot more deception in box um, than I feel like in field. And, and when the field game is blended with it, I think it can be really, really positive. So anyway, um, yeah, huge believer in it. And, and I think it, the younger, the better.
0: Can you elaborate on the statement of there's more deception in box than in field?
1: Yeah. I just think, you know, at the end of the day, you know, the way you manipulate with your hands and box is probably a little bit different, you know, and I think you get a smaller space. You don't have as much like long, like long running movements. So your feet aren't necessarily standing still, but your feet are underneath you more. Um, so, you know, when a guy's dribbling full speed, it's hard to, it's hard to be creative with your dribble. When a guy is squaring his man up with his dribble in basketball inside out crossover, you, you know, you're more apt to put a move on a guy. Well, across the same way, when my feet are light and underneath me and I'm not running full speed, I can do a little bit more in terms of like my hands, my, my butt end, and my head and shoulders. And I think box really lends itself to that. You don't have a long pole, like banging on you, like banging your hands. So your ability to get into tight spaces and to use little nuances, like I said, with your hands, head and shoulders, butt ends, you know, box fakes, pumps, um, you know, really comes into play. And, and then obviously you have the, the, the obvious, which is a smaller net and a bigger goalie, you know? Yeah. So when you're shooting, it's not always a velocity thing as much as it is a, a quickness, a, an angle, uh, you know, shooting around people, you know, getting on top and being able to use a quick top hand. It really develops your top hand and your wrists uh, much more so. A lot of field players play with their arms. They don't play with their hands. And box players play with their hands more than their arms. So when, when you recruit a box player, you got to help him get his arms away from his body, you know? Field players, you got to constantly help them develop their wrists and hands because they haven't, they're underdeveloped. Um, so to me, that's kind of like the, the balance as I get guys that we, yeah. we, you know, and coach guys on the offensive in particular.
0: I agree with you. And I, I think another way of saying it is box forces you to be more deceptive. I think you probably want to be every bit as deceptive in field as box, but box is an environment. That you have to get to the middle. You can't run into space down the alley and just shoot it with speed. you got to actually somehow get to the middle. There's less space. It's just like hoops, actually, in the sense that you don't see somebody make a move on a shot fake at the three-point line and get all the way to the basket on that move. They're going to have to do several hesies along the way to, to freeze sliders because there there's no space. And, in, and that's why in box, when they go underneath, you'll see them you know, pumping backhands, and they come over the top, and they're doing all these natural sort of hesitations. And it's like, they're learning all of these skills as solutions in the context of these two man movements where there's multiple defenders to read. And you add on that it's a lot easier to get to the middle without the ball than with the ball. And now you've got people's heads up and the ball moving. And oh, man, I agree. I, I think that's, you know, it's a really interesting topic.
1: Good point. You know, you make a really good point, and and I love some of your material and some of your looks. When it, whether it's the nation's look or or just stealing your own man, but I think you know, going back to my kids, and, and, and this is no different at the Ohio State Division One level, in my opinion. But um, teaching off ball play can be challenging. You know, and there's some guys that just you know, we have a couple guys that are freshmen here for us offensively. That that's that's a huge area for growth. Is what do they do when they don't have the ball in the half half field? Because uh, either A, they're so used to having it most of the time, or B, waiting around for them to get it and, and then dodge. And, and I think that, you know, I've, I've become a, a bigger believer, as I've evolved as a coach, coaching the field game, that more unscripted movement patterns in the backside of your offense are always going to be more, more effective and, and, and dangerous to a defense than your, your very scripted motion, you know, and organized and you go here. There's positives to both. But what box does you don't you don't see that you know you get into your shape and you play and you, you know space is important you know cutting the middle is important um, there's certainly like wrinkles and some in some some design actions uh, but what I feel like box teaches kids that just like to stand around off the ball when they're young is you got to move you have to move without the ball and that's got to be you know and so I think for my guys that play back my, my cute boys playing basketball in box right now they're really being hammered whenever they go to practice is that when you don't have the ball, you got to do something to bring value. So that's a cut, a pick, a seal, right? A pop. And I, I think that in itself is a huge reason why box and basketball for that matter, pickup hoops are great for a young lacrosse player, you know, because a lot of times you play in a youth lacrosse game and, and you, you do see kids standing around a lot. You do see the ball just kind of dying and one guy kind of running through two or three people on a goal. And then, you know, 30 seconds goes off to, get out there, face it off. And it's just kind of like a a little bit of a a blog, whereas the box game, man, it's just so much more fast-paced and movement. Um, I really like that for for especially youth-age kids.
0: Yeah, well, and when you learn how to work together with somebody else off the ball to get open, which, say it another way, work together off the ball to make the defense have to figure out how they're going to play it, If you can read it, you're going to get two on one. You're going to get two defenders on one offensive player. Whereas moving off the ball and cutting is fine and great, but it's a lot easier for the defense to guard a one-on-one cut than it is to guard a pick action where someone's actually reading, are they switching or are they staying? And um, it's pretty much the whole box paradigm versus the field paradigm. Field paradigm is we're going to be in a set. We're going to dodge. We're going to create our, advantages through dodges and drawing slides and we're going to have scripted movements and motions that make it hard for you to slide and recover and our ball movements going to beat your recoveries. And then if you recover pretty well then we'll dodge your approaches. And the box paradigm which so therefore it's a action is related to the ball offense. And the box paradigm is we're going to pick on both sides simultaneously and and, and we're going to create advantages through the 2 on 1 hey, if you switch, I got two on me because I have the ball or I'm the cutter. If I, if I can engage two players in a switch, the picker is going to get open. Or if they're going to stay and they're going to come over the pick, I can bring you over the pick. And all of these concepts w- combined with ball movement create two-on-ones. And therefore, the ball finds the action as opposed to the action being all relative to the ball. By the way, I stole that, that line 25 years ago from – the Bobby Knight motion offense videos. What he would say: play relative play offense, set play offenses are the ball. The action finds the ball. Motion offense: the ball finds the action.
1: Yeah, well, you know, a guy that, that we uh, both love and and uh, think about a lot is Coach Hunts, and he he was always sending me basketball like diagrams and basketball videos of. You know some new action that he had seen and, and that he thought thought was worth you know playing around with and and you're right man I think there's that there's that right balance and you know you're a big believer as I am of a lot of times a two man game you know sometimes we get too consumed with the two man game like like ultimately a two man game takes a defender out of an off ball position and I think just on its face like that in itself is a win you know like you know one of the guys that I, I like I'm sure you're following him, Joe does a really nice job he's he's, he's Joe Keegan. And uh, he's a great Twitter follower for people out there, but, you know, Joe's, Joe's studying the stats and the analytics in the pro league right now. And, and it's very obvious that two-man action, um, you just have a higher, higher chance to score, you know, and a lot of times it doesn't necessarily mean that the man that's working the two-man action is the one necessarily getting a shot or scoring, um, but just the analytics of, of wing dodging with a pick versus without a pick, for example you know, the stress, you know, that that puts on a defense, you know, the backside. It's why you're seeing more and more folks going to the five-man offense when they can, you know, trap a guy down there. You know, if you go five-man, then you pick. Now you got three guys off the ball, you know. So, you know, I think that that space favors that. And a lot of times two-man game, you know, and pick play and field and blending the box game, if you will, with the field game is an interesting study. Um, You know, you look at the Archers, for example, I think they're a good example of a team that's kind of probably more similar to what we want to be in terms of a a field box like hybrid. Uh, You have the chaos, you know, that, that are all in, you know, on the, on the two man, you know, one-handed total box style. Um, And then you have some other teams that, that, that aren't. And that's why I like international lacrosse, you know, international lacrosse, you know, when you look at the Canada U S games over the, over the years, that those final games have always, almost always been a one goal game. Now the rules are a little bit different international play, but you have, this Canadian style and this American style. And then, you know, they, they butt heads. And so it's fun to see the differences, you know, in terms of the style of play. And, and you can certainly see the box influence with, you know, the Canadians. And I think as, as the Americans are becoming better and better at, at the box game, you're starting to see both sides, you know, you're seeing Canadians that are better in field and, and box play, you know, Americans that are better in box and Matt Rambo is one of the better players in the league right now. Yep. He's, he's a good player, you know, and yeah, you're seeing Americans to catch
0: going. You Just know. getting
1: started. Yeah. Getting started. I think you're gonna see continue. that trend continue. And I think for the for the NLL to take that, probably that next step that they want to take, you're gonna to need to have 20, 30 percent of the league American, you know, and it's it's not there yet, but I think it's certainly gonna to, going to head that way, I think, in the years to come.
0: Yeah, no doubt. It's cool stuff. Did you watch? Did you watch a lot of PLL, by the way?
1: I did, yeah. I watched a lot of I taped the ones I couldn't, but I, I think that uh what was that app that we all had to download there? Uh I don't know. I nailed it though. Peacock. Peacock, that's the one. Yeah, 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 I was a big peacock guy this summer. So no, I, I loved it. You know, I love watching our guys, you know, as you, I know you do too, the guys that played for you. And we got a bunch of guys that are in the NLL right now and a bunch of guys playing the, in the PLL. So I love watching them. And then I love just, you know, being a fan of the game. And I followed up with Andy Towers after the season, congratulated him. And I know he's a good friend, um, but was really impressed with what he did with that group. And I wanted to hear a little bit more about how you know, he stepped back in the offseason and, and made a couple, you know, roster changes and, and what why he did that and where he felt like that, you know, made a difference. Um You know, Andy Copeland's a guy that was in our league for years, as you know, a great coach, you know. So uh, I love chatting with these guys, just getting their perspective and, and hearing what they, you know, what they're seeing. Um, but it's fun league. Yeah, it's fun league to watch as is the NLL.
0: So um, it's kind of interesting when you think about Canadians, we're talking a lot about offense, but the defenseman of the year was Canadian too. And, you know, and in Graham Hasek. And uh, obviously there's a ton of great American polls. But when you think about Canadian box players, or Brody Merrill, I did a podcast with him, I don't know, six weeks ago or something like that. And he, one of the greatest defensemen in the history of the game, probably the best in the last 25 years or so, and, and uh, didn't pick up a poll till he was 16, <laughs> you know. And I don't know about Hasek, you know, the, I, what I do know is that they, the field season up there is the month of May. And, and then they, they jump right into their box season. Uh, but what what's your take on, on Canadian polls? Um, you have any on your team? Have you recruited? Yeah. You, oh man. You, you had a Canadian poll and made one of the biggest plays ever that got you uh, at the end of the uh, Towson game, got you into the national championship with an unbelievable second slide. Still one of my greatest, my favorite plays of that. Yeah, uh, was, that was it his name? Orangeville kid?
1: Yeah. And he was a three-time captain for us, you know, and he just made his debut in the NLL. He had a bad foot. So he got his first start for the swarm uh, in the lineup uh, this past weekend, you know, Jeff Henrik. So yeah, he's a, he was a great pole. He played at the Hill Academy for, for Brody. Uh, Brody does a really nice job as his Pat with that staff of identifying Canadian guys that are good, but maybe not that high end offensive player and getting a pole in their hands at a young age. And I'm, I'm sure that's not an easy conversation. But you look at some of the defensemen that have come out of the Hill Academy. Joe's got a really good one playing for him down in Carolina right now. Um, you know, they, they have different different skill sets. So we got a young man by the name of Alex Marnier, freshman, uh, who's going through the, the Canada uh, Team Canada trial process still right now, and, and he's bouncing back and forth between long stick, midi and, and close. But he is uh, he's been great. I mean, it's funny, half the Canadians we we have on our team aren't offensive players. We have a Canadian faceoff. Uh, guy. Uh, We have a defensive midfielder in Dante Bowen and a a long stick midi in Alex Marnier. So, you know, to your point um, there's value all over the field, you know, in terms of just those guys. And and I think um, you know, Jake Withers, I mean, just it doesn't necessarily have to be a goal scorer. So I I totally agree with you there. They they certainly bring uh, a different skill set in these different positions. Like, you know, Dante, someone you look at like a a courier, for example, I think he's the best midi in the world. You know, and, and I know Shriver the argument, but if you were drafting a team today, you're going to have a hard time convincing me that there's a bigger value add in the midfield than Courier, right? In terms of what he can do. Um, wings, team midi o- offense, you know, it's just, he's incredible. And I'm not sure how much field he played growing up, you know, um, but certainly has adapted pretty well to the field game. Yeah. So. You know, those are some examples that jump out to me. And so, yeah, we're fortunate. We've got some guys that play played pole, a couple here now, and some defensive guys as well as, you know, offensive guys.
0: So how does a guy who didn't play much defense growing up, you know, because they don't, they play box. There's not much field going on. They play some, but it's like, the, like I said, it's the month of May that in general. That's the, the, the field season is like five or six weeks. Mostly the month of May starts like they can't go outside that early in April. And then during during the summer, they're 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 mostly boxed with the occasional club stuff. In the fall, they'll play a little bit of field in the fall, but mostly with their clubs. And I, I bet you there's a little more now than 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 in some years past. But how is it that Canadian poles, you know, are so good? Obviously, number one, their stick skills, their their handle, their ability is off the charts. I mean, Courier is like a, you know plays out of the back gate. He's he's like the you know, he, he plays defense mostly in box, right? So um, that, that's something that people would be very surprised to know. This is Zach Courier, who might be your first draft pick, who could score two and two every single game and, and get eight loose balls and play two ways. Backdoor um, guy. Plays back gate. he's backdoor guy.
1: Yeah, totally. No, I think you nailed it. I, I think the most important thing that you do defensively is you make stops, right? And you make a stop by getting a ground ball, right, or a save. So at the end of the day, when you have a guy on your team that, that picks up a ground ball better than anybody else, right off the bat, regardless of if he doesn't know how to, you know, how to play defense, yeah. he does one, one thing, one thing that's incredibly valuable to you getting the outcome that you want, which is ultimately picking a ball up, whether it's off a wing. I mean, to me, when you win a face-off, that's kind of a defensive stop. I mean, you can look at it however you want. I've always kind of valued a face-off as like, we, we're keeping them from playing offense. So if you have a, a Canadian on the pole, and Jeff played a lot of pole, I mean, some of the ground ball plays he made, we would have been playing defense if he, if he doesn't make that play. They're unreal. Yeah. And then you look at their ability, I mean, the effort and toughness piece of, of the box players, you know? So they, they bring a, a chippiness and, and an edginess about them, in most cases that have played box, and they have an amazing handle. Um, I mean, right out the bat, what defensive coach doesn't want those two things? Tough as nails, credible handle off the ground. You can work with that, you know, and so I think that there lies the basis of a, of a defenseman that maybe lacks some of the scheme and the IQ, but whereas the Americans, maybe that hasn't been, that hasn't been emphasized enough. Or, you know, I play D, but I really don't spend time on the wall on my stick because I don't touch the ball a ton. That That's where, like, someone comes in and can really make an influence in your lineup because they're just different. You know, all of yeah. a sudden, it's like, hey, you know, Jeff Henrik was just different than all the other defensemen. Right. And I, I think different can be sometimes really, really good. <laughs> Yeah. Bertie Brody Merrill was different. Yeah, he still is. And he has been for a long time. He just plays defense differently than, than just about everybody else. Uh, you don't think of Brody Merrill. Think about just lockdown position, never gets beat. I mean, he's a great slider. He's a great double-team guy. He's obviously magical off the ground. He runs the field well. He's an incredible locker room guy. He's a leader. He's a captain on every team he plays on. You know, but most highlights of Brody Merrill aren't like one-on-one island dodge clips of him, you know, like – not that he doesn't do that. He certainly can. But, like, you know what I'm saying? I think that's yeah. that's the key. you got to know what you're getting there. And, and I think adding that to your lineup is a home run if you can find the right guy.
0: No doubt. And you made the, the point of maybe Dyer doesn't do a lot of wall ball, but wall ball ain't going to get it done the way Box gets it done. And that's just a fact. You know, you can do a wall And if wall ball works that well, every there'd be a lot. There'd be ten times more good players. There's, there's plenty of people doing wall ball. But Box, for defensemen, it's where it's at. And, and like you said, you know, you may not do as much scheme, but then again, there's more and more picking going on than ever. And that's the whole game. So you're like your entire life, you are getting used to being in defensive situations where you're being picked or your team, you know, you're guarding a guy who's picking and you're communicating it, and you're seeing it and you understand how to, how to communicate it, how to see it, how to read it, how to help, how to rotate. It's all, the stuff's all happening. You know, so it's pretty interesting. I mean, it, it's kind of cool, too, because in, in Canadian box across state, you know, everybody plays O-N-D. So the kids aren't pigeonholed into uh, a defensive player until until they're done with until like maybe sometime in midget. I think maybe midget, which is when you're 15, 16. I think that you can go O D. maybe. I can't remember. But b- before that, you're not allowed to like you got to just run ro- roll guys. Um, so, yeah, it's really, really cool stuff. Um. So let's, um, let's switch gears here for a sec. Um, talk to me a little bit about, you know, what you're sort of seeing in the game these days with trends. Um, defensively, for, for example, um, do you see trends that have changed defensively in the way people are kind of playing things that you're, that you're thinking about or trends in terms of the way they're playing Two man games, you know, so me and Lars were talking about this the other day where, you know, some people aren't going behind the net as much, um, you know, with pickers or other types of trends of not sliding early. Like, the, you know, are the days gone of I'm going to channel you and give you the alley and slide early? What are the trends in in, in Division One men's lacrosse right now defensively?
1: Yeah, well, that's, that's a great question. I think there's there's just there's better defensive coaches across the board. The depth of defensive coordinators and coaches right now in Division One is as good as it ever has been. Um, so I think that you don't, you don't schedule a game and not, you not play a coach that has a pretty buttoned up plan. Um, so I just think that the, the quality, and like I said, the depth of coaching is number one, uh, number two, I would say, you know, you made the point of like, I do think below the goal is probably still the most challenging thing, you know? And I think that's where, you know, I sit down with Travis and we look at us, who are we defensively, where we probably get stuck and spend the most time bat going back and forth is how we want to defend the ball below the goal. And I think that that conversation lends itself to why you see so many teams below the goal, especially when, when you, when all things are equal, right? When you lock horns and they're playing good D and you're you're playing all like, that's kind of the default for a lot of teams, you know, whether it's, you know, Virginia has a great below the goal line package, Carolina does, you know, Maryland does, um, you name it. You know, that's not where they necessarily live, but it's certainly a big part of their identity. And it seems like then the final four weekend, in a lot of cases, it's even a bigger part of their identity because it's one of the more challenging things to defend. And I think trends and how we're defending it, you're seeing teams do uh, a variety of things that the it soft is something you're seeing more play teams just with the shot clock being totally comfortable, being hung. You know, like being hung used to be kind of a negative if you were a defender. Like, hey, you don't want to get hung. You want to get back there and play your guy. I feel like this teams that just just are candidly totally comfortable with giving you that that hang up and your hands free below the goal, especially now knowing there's a clock running. Um, some of that factors into how you play picks, too. You know, like, are you working really hard to manipulate the picker, meaning like you're driving him off and trying to get away with that without official calling it and allowing your pole to, to like play the ball and get under? You see that, you know, like where the kind of hands are in their back and they're driving. And, you know, if an offensive player doesn't arrive detached, you know, he's getting kind of manipulated off his dodge line. And then there's some other teams that just aren't even going back there. They're standing in front of the goal and allowing that guy to kind of get whatever he wants in the ball and really trying to keep the ball below the goal and force it back below the goal. So those are a couple of the things that, that I've seen there. Um, you know, I think the point you made is, is a good one in terms of just the early slides and the down the alley. Uh, I just don't think offenses are necessarily designed not necessarily that way, the way they were, I think offenses have changed. You're seeing a lot more offenses that are, are really working that high wing, that high elbow more than ever. Um, they're not necessarily coming north, south down the hash marks as much as they're coming east to west. Uh, so I think that changes your sliding decisions and sliding angles sometimes versus your traditional, like right down the middle, um, roll back, throw forward type, type approach which gives you enough time to, to a lot of times recover and, and do it again and again. Um, but the shot clock here, it's been fun. I mean, I think you now have a clock that is a defensive weapon, right? So you're, you're playing defense now where you weren't three years ago with the understanding that you have a clock ticking that ultimately is, 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 is another defender. Whereas in 2018, I mean, you had to play until you made a stop, <laughs> you know, and I think you can't underestimate the differences of the two errors. I mean, we're only three years into this shot clock era. And so I do think you're seeing more zone. I do think there's there's more variations. Teams are willing to kind of change their personality there. You know, what do you do at, at a short clock defensively? Do you go early? Do you go, do you do you change your pattern, your identity a little bit under 10 seconds in a shot clock? Um, those are some things off the top of my head that I would say I've seen a little bit, bit of.
0: Yeah, interesting. Now, what about um, on the offensive side? Um, do, you see, do you see the trends towards more, I mean, there is just there is more, I think there's more two-man game than ever. Um, yeah. No doubt about that. Seems like I'd more love wing to- Dodgers than Allie's.
1: I'd like to throw on the 2008, 7, 6, whatever you want, Denver, Ohio State, battles that we used to have and um, as a young assistant coach, I always loved playing Denver and playing a Coach Monroe team because they were different, you know, and defensively we had to make sure we were prepared and, you know, I was fortunate when I first got back here as an assistant, as an offensive coach to walk in and have Joel Dalgarno, a freshman, and Kevin Buchanan, a sophomore, and know that you have those guys for three years together when you're starting out as an offensive coach was pretty special for me. And, you know, credit to those two guys, because you know, Kevin, played, they were great, you know, Kevin's an American who played in the NLL for a long, long time. Yeah. And, we need, you know, like I said, we need more guys like that. And, and Joel was obviously a great, great box player. And, you know, I go back, that's where, you know, it really started for me in terms of just like really wanting to, to get creative with those guys. And they were great in that two-man and you had your guys and they were doing a lot of two-man. And But that there wasn't, you weren't seeing that from everybody at that time, you know, even in the, the mid-2000s. And, not to say a couple weren't, but I mean, everybody has a pair's offense now. I mean, everybody, you know, like there's not a team really out there. that doesn't have some variation of pairs. Um, everybody has a below the goal line package, you know, whether it's single pick play, you know, you know, your razor picks, whatever you want to call it. Every Most teams have some fashion of that. And then, and then there's some sort of offensive, like, you know, motion. Is it, is it a one, three, two, is it a three out? Um, so to me, those are the personalities offensively you are seeing. I think teams, you know, to me, what I, I I'm, we're doing a bit of more of is I like kind of what I refer to in football is like the, the hurry up offense, where a lot of times when, it, when, an, when a football team doesn't huddle, they make a big play, you'll see them sprint to the line of scrimmage and more often than not that next play is a run, not a pass. All right, they get up to the line of scrimmage and, and they hand the ball off and they, and they kind of pound you off that quick, quick restart. Well, I kind of look at that dodging out of the box similar, you know, like playing with tempo, knowing the clock's on, you know, pushing the ball, creating, creating that mentality of like getting down there, setting picks. And you think about like Loyola 2012, probably the best team I've ever coached against in terms of the early offense. You know, they came at you with this like wave over the midline and then it like never really stopped. And, you know, I think in the shot clock era, like the clock's on. So it's like that first phase of the clock and coach Hunt was always big on you got to play the phases, you know, like, are you, how good are you in that first 20 seconds? And then can you settle in after it being like a probing of like pushing to then be able to like dodge out of the box, but not have that be like your, you know, your start and end, you know, and come out with tempo, never let the defense, like feel like you're really getting set or organized and keep that consistent pressure, but be able to play in that back third where most defenses are most vulnerable. And I, I know I'm jumping around here a little bit on you, but I think for like, to me, just examining that, you know, the, the shot clock era, understanding the different phases um, kind of understanding these like two or three different personalities that most, most teams have. Um, and then again, wh- wh- what do you want to be great at? And then really defining roles offensively for your personnel. You know, one of the things we're going through in the preseason kind of an idea who our top eight or nine guys are. <clears throat> so I think that next step a lot of times just becomes like a little bit of like role definition, you know what I mean? Like, You know, different than box, where you're going to take however many shots a game. You know, field, you don't take, you don't, you probably take half as many shots, right? In a game. So there's, there's a little bit of that dialogue of like, all right, good shot, bad shot, but like, what are, what, where's, where's my fit in this piece? And as guys start to get a sense of that, you you hope they play with a little bit more courage and a little bit faster, um, kind of knowing their, their, their space. And uh, to me, that's, that's a trend that I know we've evolved with. And I think you're seeing some other teams evolve with. Teams are just generally playing faster. Um, You're seeing 15, 16 goals at teams that were scoring 10 goals three years ago consistently uh, because of the style of play, because of the speed of play, because of the shot clock.
0: Interesting. What are your thoughts about um, swinging the ball through X versus swinging it on one pass kind of like wing to wing, more box style? Like them both, I'm sure, but give me some maybe a little. Yeah, I mean, um, we talk
1: a lot about the five-yard rule at X. You know, um, and what that basically means is, like, your guy at X, let just say if you're in a one 2 and you're dodging there, like, we, we kind of have that guy. And you are, I mean, listen, I don't think anybody's been better at it over the years than Denver. You know, I think about I think about Eric Law, you know, and, and what he was able to do. But, like, just the ability to, to dodge above the goal and have that, that X presence and, and have that defender have to really understand, like, really have to guess, can I play front post? Do I play back post? Do I try to get back there? If I get back there, he can he can backdoor me. Yale's been really good at that in the last few years. If you've noticed, you know, with the way they play, moral. Um, Great. So I, I just think the ability to have the guy when they're at X and not have it be like this like deep outlet, but 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 more of a presence where your back door, your front door, you know, you can you can dodge through X. I think you're seeing more teams like dodging through X where that was kind of like frowned upon before, you know, now, now you're seeing teams dodge through X. And a lot of times that X guy becomes like a, a pick or an obstruction. Um, so to me, I don't know if I answered your question. I just think defining that guy at X and whether you're in an invert, you, however you get whoever you put there, uh, I I think he's gotta be a little bit more crafty than he is like a ball reversal guy. Yeah. You sure you want to get swings in your offense. Um, But having the ball above the goal and then making sure he's doing a great job of making that defenseman, you know, if he's if he goes back there and chokes X, you're five on five above the goal. If he doesn't choke X, then you're you're front swinging, back swinging, back piping him. You know, and and to me, if you're not playing that game, like you're giving the defense kind of an advantage, kind of the way I see it. No doubt.
0: You remember um, Brett Cole. He was, oh, he, was the back, he was sitting on the backside of that for those one-timers in the old uh, five-out high offense with Brett Cole sitting uh, there. Yeah,
1: he was a Colorado guy, wasn't he?
0: Yeah, Fort Collins guy.
1: That's right, Fort Collins. I remember him. Yeah, he was great.
0: But it's true, you know, and, and it allows you to use the goal as an obstruction, you know. The goal is like a seventh offensive player for you that you can use as a pick for your for your man. So he either has to, like, glue to you and, like you said, allow it to be five on five. Or or he's going to try to help and he's going to run the risk of a backside one-timer. And that always feels terrible when you give that one up. And with all the movement going on out top, it's not like anyone can get down the backside. That's why I think people are going to start going to those five-out offenses. I think it's better than pairs, personally. I mean, like, why would you want two guys on each pipe? You get two guys on a pipe, it's pretty easy up and over. And you got time to get somebody down the backside. But when there's just one guy there, not easy.
1: Yeah, no, I, 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 I'm in full agreement. I think there's some, some pros and cons. A lot of it just depends on your personality. I mean, if you put two down the pipe, you're really trying to clear space for longer dodges with midfielders up top. You know, I think that's got to be probably the purpose there. Mm-hmm. If you really want to create more of a box style, uh, freelance, you know, wing-to-wing um, type approach, you're probably going probably gonna to put a single back there. You know, so there's some, like I said, I think there is some pros and cons. You know, the, the speed of slides, I think, is a factor. If you get a team that's coming really fast to you, um, I can make a case for two pipes, you know, if, if you're getting quick slides, you know, with pipe play. If a team, you know, is a little bit slower to go or stingier with their slide decisions, I think that's going to probably be a little bit less uh, advantageous, you know, having having two there versus one.
0: Yeah, right.
1: Because uh, your, so- your
0: guy at X isn't going to be open all the time either. That's the thing that people have to realize is when he's sitting there on the backside pipe, you're not going to have an open
1: outlet. So that's why you got to make sure that your middies know, and you did this at Denver, you know, Browns, Matty does a great job of this, but giving the, the men the ability to know they can dodge through X. Like, and they don't hit the panic button when they draw a slide. Like, run through the slide and keep your feet moving. You know, like, if, if the X guy is going to sneak the back door, he can't always be an outlet for you, too, you know? That's
0: right. That's exactly right. Um, when you think about those box offenses, you look at the chaos here's a question for you are people going to designate sliders and, and 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 play the regular you know theory in theory defense of we're gonna slide we're going to designate um I, I think they probably are but 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 I ask you that because I it becomes a major seal issue when you start doing that whether you're and 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 especially if you do it and you're sort of attacking out of a three-man side um the pairs the one nice thing about pairs is that you know you got a lot of space to the middle um it, you know it, because there's only four guys up there And when there's five maybe maybe there's not as much space in some ways but when they designate let's just say you're attacking out of a two-man side and they're designating a, a slider in the middle and they're packing it in with the other two guys and zoning it up there you're gonna you're gonna get seals and two-on-ones all day and, it, and if you break through on a three-man side it's a huge problem they're gonna be more packed in than ever um, so what, what are your thoughts on that? Is it going to turn into designating and getting sealed uh, or is it going to turn into chasing people around and, 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 and try not to do that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'd like to throw, I'd like to throw a zone at the chaos. I, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't have the answer to this. And this may just be a practice time thing. Uh, I don't think zone is outlawed in the PLL, but I haven't seen a whole lot of zone defense. I don't know if you have in the league, um, that's a potential, you know, and, and that gives you a little bit more flexibility to to designate and to do some things you're talking about. Um, I think as soon as you designate against a team like chaos, you're, you're gonna be in a in a whirl of hurt off the ball. No doubt. Um, so I think what what Coach Towers has done a really nice job of is he hasn't just recruited Canadian guys, he's got a blend of speed and slickness. And so the, you know, the 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 pairs, the anti pairs has always been like the you know, bully the ball and, you know, kind of like, you know, disrupt it with ball pressure. And if you get that, you have to have guys that have enough speed to like really get under, you know, and, and, and draw out, you know, and I think that to me, if you don't have that ability to counter that, you can, you can feel like you're getting bullied in pairs a little bit. Um, if you have enough speed in your middies and you got those matchups or you can create matchups with pick play, um that's a kind of a counter to the pit to the to the to the extension if teams kind of pack it in on you then you know right that's when you're going to get you know your hands are free and you're going to get guys doing more of the nations and the backside actions and the ball is going to move quicker than you want if you pressure the ball the ball doesn't move as fast but you're going to get your guys are going to get underneath you so it's like i think there's not one easy way to do it yeah um if i was playing them and scouting them i I'd probably have three looks you know we'd probably have a play them and be ready to go pack it in and and try to hold, not slide. See if we can win matchups and then, and then have a zone in the, in the, in the back pocket as a, as a, as kind of a, a wild card mix up. See if you could steal a couple that way.
0: It's it's a good point on, 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 on bullying people and and pushing out. You're not going to create a whole lot of advantages on your first pick. And, and, And it's also tricky when you only have two players on the other side, when you have a three player side, Three man side makes it a lot easier to swing it, you know. Because if they push out on that guy, you you've got another guy you can skip it through to. If they're pushing out, which usually they won't, but 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 the three the three man side gives you an easier ability to play off ball two man actions and and provide a swing outlet. Um, and I also
1: one handed, don't you think too? Like to that point, like being one handed, which primarily chaos is in all their matchups when you speed a team up by playing them and doing what you just said, that sometimes you can – like in box, you don't necessarily get sped up to that degree. The ball is moving quick, you're playing fast, but it's not because someone's playing you outside the the perimeter that you're used to. So I I think when you take a one-handed player and you speed them up and you pressure them, that can sometimes be advantageous. But like I said, Towers has got this great mix of Canadian guys. I mean, Dane Smith and, you know, these guys can run – they're, they're not, they're not just they Canadians. They're, they're, they're incredible athletes. They are. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. Canadians get lumped into this, like, Hey, they're half court guys that kind of stand around and just throw yeah. fakes. Well, no, 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 no. I mean, he's got a combination of guys that can really score be physical, but some guys that can absolutely run by you. Well, by it. no doubt, that's, no that's, that's kind of though, you throw your hands in the air. Once you no have definitely. that, yeah. you got, that's what made West Berg so tough. I mean, he, he was a great, he's a great player, but in field, he's so darn fast. Um, if you went out and pressed what you know, Berg, it, it, it'd it blow right by you, man.
0: One one last comment on the pressure piece is that if you swing it and get it down and swing it back, you're probably gonna be getting picked up at the hashes again. And 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 that's the thing that you gotta be able to do is understand that, like, you know, you're not gonna get much out of, you know, two-man game is almost like it's almost misleading because it's, 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 just part of it. You know, you're going to set a pick over here and you're going to have some guys extended with pressure and you're going to swing it on another side and they'll do some kind of a nations or down pick, pass down, pick down over there. And you guys that were just pressuring you are now busting in to get back in and help a little bit. And then all of a sudden the ball swings back and now they're running back out. And now that you're going to be getting picked up closer to the hashes and you do that a few times, that's team offense, right? That's swinging it from one side and back. And now all of a sudden, you know, you've you, you know, you've got some – you've got approaches. And, 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 you know, if you sort of qualify, all right, what percentage of the time can we create advantages in two-man game? The, the lowest one is going to be pull on the ball in the beginning of the possession. You know, another one would be, you know, a, a much better one would be maybe short on the ball. So anytime there's a short on the ball, it's going to be easier to create the advantage. And then another one is, are they approaching you? Because now if you've got a guy approaching you, you know, as opposed to already on you, it's a lot easier to, to be, be able to take advantage of what you're trying to do. And, and, and then if it's at the hashes and they're approaching you, now you've got way bigger advantages. But you got to build yourself into that by running an offense that allows you to, like, you know, get actions, swing it, get it down, swing it back, get it down.
1: And I think any offense that has a, a rhythm to it, right? And I think chaos is certainly one that's very rhythmic. In mean, every offense, you want to find rhythm. But there's certain offenses that are very dodge, you know, pass-pass type approach that are predicated off of dodge dodge first. Whereas, I don't think chaos is necessarily trying to even draw doubles some of the time. They're just, they're just getting leverage on their matchup. So, you know, when you play a team that's, that's, you know, to your point of like trends that you're seeing, you're seeing less of that draw to move it twice, I think, in all lacrosse than ever before. And you're seeing, you know, like get a little leverage, you know, get a get a show, get a two-man, like finding ways to get your hands to the middle of the field in different fashions. And so when you play a team that has that kind of a, a, a personality, the ability to disrupt and, and disrupt can be done. And, and you know, Joe is a guy that I I coach for. He was he taught me at a young coach, he was great at that. He was always that was one of the things I thought made coach a great defensive coach, was he was always playing A, B, and C, it's like, we got to make sure that the offense doesn't find rhythm, you know, and if that that, that means sometimes you just got to disrupt them with some different looks, and so a team like Chaos that was so good offensively at what they did, your best chance, like you're describing, may just be able to just kind of just vary, you know, levels of pressure, you know, and see if you can kind of get them out of a little bit of a sink, Um, maybe your best chance.
0: Yeah, totally. In any case, you got to have smart players. You got to make good decisions. Amen. you got to be good passers. Um, you have to be unpredictable. You have to be a good athlete. All these things. And, and so I want to I lead that statement into how do you recruit it? How do you find players? Now, I know you're looking for a lot of different things. But the common denominator is you need smart players. You need good decision makers. You need a, a skill set. We talked a lot about the Canadians already. But I'm really interested in understanding how do you recruit smart players that are good decision makers that, you know, can see it. How do you, how do you do that? And if you could give me a little synopsis on different, on offensive players and defensive players, and you know what goalies for that matter, because you look at like blaze Reardon. I think the guy is just brilliant as a player. He's not just physically gifted. I think he knows where you're shooting. I think he knows what your options are and he knows how to show them to you and take them away in a split second. And it's about decision-making and reading.
1: Yeah. I mean, you can make a strong case that he's the best player in the world right now. You know, Thank just, you. you know, flat out, um, you know, the point you made about passers uh, I think passers first, you know, we, we both have heard that and, and believe in that and going back to my boys, like Mason, my 11 year old, he, he, his stick, he, he, you could, you could look at it and, and mistake it for a woman's stick. That's how shallow his pocket is. And I just think for dads that maybe you're listening or guys that, that are, that have kids going to your point of like, what do we recruit? Like at a young age, it's so important that you start, you know, the men off with sticks that are gonna like, build some of these habits that we want to ultimately recruit later. And yep. we wanna recruit guys that have great wrists, that great have, have great hand control, that can generate speed and power without having like eight shooting strings in their pocket and, and a stick that you can't pass with. And so, you know, you got to start at a young age and like my my boys started with women's sticks and they graduated into like these sticks they have now, but they have very little pocket and they got to learn to be strong with the ball with very little pocket. And I think Canadians, you know, to use the Canadian, you know, to go back there, like Canadian players growing up in box are taught to play with less pocket, a quicker release. And oh, by the way, no one takes the ball from you, you know, And so like that being entrenched in you is something that really feeds into so What do I look for on the offensive side? We want guys that have great ball security, right, that take care of the ball, that aren't careless, um, that when the ball hits their stick, they're strong with it. They can be physical, you know, they can get to good spots in the field, but they have the ability to do all that and be great passers. You know, I think those two things come probably before being a great scorer. I think a lot of times if you can do those two things, you're usually a pretty good scorer. Um, You know, as far as, like, the, the defensive side of things, you know, they come in different sizes and shapes, as you said, you know, so I think you, you have to, you know, kind of have your alerts and your criteria, but I, I think positionless defensemen is, is a good thing. You know, guys that you feel like can play either pole or close a lot like a positionless lacrosse player, you know, you're seeing more guys that aren't really middies or attackmen. They're just lacrosse players, you know, and that's a trend, you know, like, what is he? Uh, he's attacked, but he plays mid, like, you, again, going back to like our battles, I think we both had guys in the offensive lineups when we were playing each other that, that, that kind of swung back and forth. You're seeing that more than ever with teams, the guys that this week he's an attack and this week he's a midfielder. Um, so I think, you know, versatility in recruits, guys that you think can, can come out of the box, guys that can clear the ball, but guys that could play attack, you know, um, defensively, guys that can play up top and down low um, you know, feet and fists is something. I'm really, uh, I'm a big believer in, you know, someone that likes to be confrontational with their hands. If you play defense, like, do do, you, do you create friction? You know, like, do you take the fight to your matchup? You know, you may not be a great scheme guy, but if you're a guy that likes to be confrontational, you know, get out and you have the feet to consistently be confrontational with your hands, not your stick, your hands, not chasing. I think kids hear that and they think, oh, get out and throw checks. Like, no, I get out and I physically get my hands on people, it's like a cornerback that can be aggressive at the line of scrimmage. Like, those guys are rare. When you see guys that like to be combative and they don't need a safety help over the top, those guys are are, our first top 10 draft picks. Um, And and they are for a reason, you know. And then, you know, as far as a goalie goes, I I really, like you mentioned, Blaze. I think he's the best goalie in the world, best lacrosse player in the world. Um, But he's incredibly patient. You know, he's a guy that, as you said, almost looks like he knows where you're shooting before you do sometimes. Uh, he's not jumpy. He's not jerky. He's, he's poised. He plays that, you know, a, a, a little bit different arc than maybe some, but got incredibly, incredibly soft hands. Um, so, again, you know, is it a goalie that makes a lot of saves but gives up a lot of rebounds? You're still playing defense a lot of times when they give up rebounds. You know, so when I watch a goalie play, is he a guy that catches the ball and really makes catches versus just gets hit a lot? And is he, uh, and is he patient? You know, those would be two criteria that I really like in the goal. Um, So anyway, I I went a little ramble there for you, but a few, few things.
0: Yeah, man. Great stuff. Well, coach, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time to uh, talk lacrosse with me and share, uh, share thoughts, fun conversation.
1: Always love it, coach. Appreciate you.
0: Awesome, man. Uh, Good luck to the Buckeyes and uh, let's keep in touch.
1: Sounds great, coach. Thanks.
0: All right, brother.